Well, turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7, we're continuing our study, of course, of God's final revelation. We're calling it the book, of course, the book of Revelation. God gave it to John. He was on the island of Patmos. It was around 95. Now, here's what's amazing. When this book was written, it was the last of the New Testament books. And by about the year 100, what we think is the Bible, we say these books all put together, that was the Bible by about 100. And so when people say, well, how did the Bible get put together? By the year 100, about the time this book finished and got put together, uh, the entire Bible, both the Old Testament and New Testament, was put together. And so it, it is the Word of God. Now, we see that this book is about end-time events. Now, why do we need to know about all this? Well, we thought about it this way. Uh, first of all, it's our comfort. that God is. It, get, it comforts us to know that God is in control. He's working all things according to the counsel of His will. We can rest in Him and trust in Him. Second, there's instructive there. We can, we can see how things turn out. We know what's going to happen. Not only is that a comfort to us, but knowing how it fits and how the church is raptured out and how the tribulation happens and how there's a kingdom coming and the eternal state. And there's an encouragement. Encouragement. Uh, we're encouraged to tell others about Jesus Christ because we know if a person does not believe in Jesus Christ and the rapture happens and we're gone, they will be a part of the world in that seven-year tribulation time period that the Bible talks about. So we want to be able to proclaim the great truths. As we look in chapter 7, uh, we see that certain ones from the Jewish nation are set apart by God. Now, if you think about it, well, you realize that when the church began, the church age began, it was mostly Jewish, and then as time went by, Jews began more to reject and more Gentiles believed. And now, if you look at it throughout a long history, there, the, the church is much more Gentile than it is Jewish. There's always Jewish people who believe, but as a whole, there's a partial hardening that's come as the Bible talks about it. And so, uh, mostly Gentile. What's going to happen in the tribulation, and we're going to see it, that God is going to raise up Jewish people to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. They're going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, and they're going to proclaim it to other people, and many are going to believe. So we're going to see that as we go through this. They have, these Jewish people, have the responsibility to make known God's salvation. Uh, We also, right now, we have the responsibility to for the people to know about how to have eternal life simply by faith. And we we get to tell people that, and that's our responsibility now. As we start, and, and we're thinking about Jewish people in this, I want to start. I have, I have, a, I had a great friend. His name was Mark Cameron. Uh, I went with him to Israel. He had a ministry called Seaside Mission to the Jews. It was in Kissimmee, Florida, and uh, he was had been the president of a Bible college. He was a great Bible teacher. And uh, he had this ministry that he would come together on Friday nights, which was actually, for the Jew, it was Saturday night, it was Sabbath. He would meet, and he would bring in Jewish people, and he would teach them the Bible. But he wouldn't say Old Testament, New Testament. He'd say, and he'd hand out Bibles to them, and he'd say, turn in your Bible to page 962. And they would turn, they didn't know, they didn't know Old Testament from New Testament, they didn't know anything. And he proclaimed the great truth, and many of them believed in Jesus. One night, a Jewish, an older Jewish woman came, and she told this. And this happened. So he said, uh, he said, she stood up and said, when I was 14 years old, she said she lived through the Holocaust. She lived in Eastern Europe and the spread of the German army came and they were a threat to her and her family. And so when she was 14, the Germans came into her city and they found all the Jews and they came into her neighborhood and they brought them all out and they made them all stand along the street. She said it was about 40 or 50 people all lined up. She said... That these German soldiers had had rifles, and they told them, everybody take your clothes off. And they they all had to take their clothes off. And then a German soldier started at the head of the line and started killing people as he went down the line. He just shot each one as he went down the line. She said she stood there, and she saw him coming her way. 
And she knew it was just a matter of seconds before she'd be dead. And when the German soldier got to her, he looked at her and he said, run as fast as you can, run as fast as you can. She turned around and ran as fast as she could, just ran away. And she said that as the years go by, she's asked thousands of times, why did God spare her? Why did God spare her? That night she stood up at Dr. Cameron's seaside mission to the Jews and she stood up and she said, and she told that story and then she said, now I know why God spared me. He set me apart physically so he could set me apart spiritually. I was spared so I could believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and have eternal life. That story about the Jews, we're going to see in this passage this morning, there's going to be a hundred and 44,000 Jewish people set apart by God in the tribulation. And we'll see it as we go through it this morning. They get to proclaim the message of Jesus to fellow Jewish people. And let me tell you, before the tribulation is over, most of the Jewish people are going to believe in Jesus Christ. And the nation as a whole will believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And we're going to see that as we go through our study. It's pretty incredible. So let's think about where we are. Let's kind of put the passage together, what we've been doing. In Revelation chapters 6 through 19, John is seeing the events that happen in the end time events. In fact, remember there was the seven seals, and there's wars, and antichrist, and famine, and abomination, desolation, and all those things. And so as we studied Revelation chapter 6, it is an overview of the entire tribulation. In fact, if you look at the six seals, and we saw there's seven seals, but we've only seen six. As we look at the six seals, it is a total overview of the tribulation. In fact, I want you to think about this. Uh, This is where we are. This is the church. Jesus died and rose again, ascended into heaven. We're in the church age. One of these days, it could be any second, Jesus is going to come take us off. It's called the rapture. It comes from the the Latin word is rapio. The Greek word is harpazo, which means to snatch away. And we're going to be gone. And then there's going to be a peace pack. And when the peace pack is made, that's Starts the seven years. And as we see the flow, the book of Revelation chapter 6 gives us an overview of this seven-year time period. Jesus is going to come back, set up a kingdom, we'll rule with him for a thousand years. There'll be a thing called Great White Throne Judgment, and then it'll be the eternal state, and we'll be with Jesus forever. That's basically what it is, and we'll get more information later. But they're going to be in this time period, as we're seeing the tribulation, peace. It starts with peace, and then there's war, then there's famine, then there's death, then there's this idol being put up at the three-and-a-half-year mark, and physically, and all those kind of things. I have this chart here, which is the final seven years. You've seen me do this. We've looked at this before. But in this final seven years, at the start of the tribulation, there's a peace pact made with the Antichrist, with the nation of Israel. That starts the seven years. We believe, and we're going to look at it this morning, that the 144,000 Jewish people are, are sealed at the start of the tribulation. There's peace, followed by war, followed by death, followed by all kind of destruction, and uh, and that's where, where we think we get to about the midway point. The Antichrist puts his idol up in the temple. He breaks the covenant. It's called the abomination and desolation. From that point on, you have to have the mark of the beast if you're going to survive and those kind of things. And the last three and a half years is called the Great Tribulation. We believe, and we're going to see it in a couple of weeks, there are two witnesses raised up to proclaim the message of Christ. The best that I can tell, I think that takes place in the last three and a half years. So the first three and a half years have the 
144,000 Jews. The last three and a half years have the two witnesses. They're also, they're also Jewish. They stand, we'll see where they stand and what they do. And of course, at the end of all this, Jesus comes back. So technically, when we looked at chapter 6, we saw that whole flow. When we talked about different things, we didn't have the details. Later, there's going to be the trumpet judgments. Then there's going to be the, the bowl judgments. And all of those give us more information. So as we look this morning at these 144,000, we see the events that take place most likely in the beginning of the seven-year time period. You can't always be dogmatic on everything from the book of Revelation, but it appears that the 144,000 are sealed at the beginning. Now, if you notice, we looked at the first, in chapter 6, we looked at the first six seals. There's a seventh seal. We hadn't got to it, but we're going to get to what is called a parenthesis. It's a stopping point, and he's going to stop telling us about the judgments, and he's going to give us information about the nation of Israel. So that's what we're going to see in our chapter, and there's a lot of things there that you're going to see. So let's look at chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Now, we've seen the six judgments, which really take us to the end of the tribulation, but now he's going to come back and he's going to talk, and this is this, this deals with stuff that happened at the beginning of the tribulation. Watch what we find. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Now, he starts up, and there's four angels there. And they talk about the winds not to blow. And the best we can understand, the winds blowing is judgment. That's why I think it's the very beginning of the tribulation. Remember, at the beginning of the tribulation, there's peace. And then there starts war. This is before, I think, the judgment begins. And this angel, there's four angels, and they're holding back the wind, which means I think they're holding back the judgment. And we meet another angel. Watch verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, coming from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Because these angels are going to bring judgment. And so I saw, we saw this, he, he says, I saw this other angel from the rising of the sun having the seal of the living God. So who is this angel? It doesn't tell us at all. We know that in the Bible there's an angel called Mark, uh, an archangel called Michael. We know there's an angel called Gabriel. We know there's cherubim. Cherub is a singular. Cherubim is plural. There's angels that have these two wings that, that are really strong. And then there's seraphim. And those are angels that have six wings and usually covered over with eyes. And, and, and so we, we don't know who this angel is, but it says he came from the rising of the living, uh, uh, the rising of the sun and having the seal of the living God. What in the, the world does that mean? It has an idea. To be sealed has the idea of ownership and protection. That's what. So this angel is coming with the authority of God. And he's coming to give a message. And this, of course, is, I think, at the beginning of the tribulation. Look at verse 3. He says to them, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their forehead. So he said, don't do the, don't bring the harm. Don't do all the stuff. Don't bring the judgment until they're sealed. And the sealing there has that idea of protection. And these are called the bond servants of God. Notice again, he said, do not harm the earth or the sea until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their foreheads. Now there's going to be some kind of mark on these people that set them apart. And what we're going to find is it protects them. They, they, nothing can kill them. Nothing can get them. The Antichrist who eventually comes after them can't get them. And so they are sealed by God to do whatever God has for them to do. And it is to proclaim the message. You understand that when you believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to indwell in you and sealed you. And you're protected and safe with God forever. 
And Ephesians 4.30, we were sealed by, the, by God, the Holy Spirit, until the day of redemption, until he comes back to get us. So these people are going to be sealed. Well, let's see who they are. And verse 4 tells us, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So we've got, there are 144,000 Jews. And uh, we're going to talk about why Jews, but he sealed 144,000 Jews. And we're going to look, as we look down the passage, he seals 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Well, let's stop and think for a minute. If you knew Jewish people today, and if you talk to a Jewish person, if they have the name like Cohen or Levi, something like that, they know that they may be, as Jewish, they may be from the tribe of Levi. They might. But many Jews, in fact, most Jews have no idea which tribe they're from. When this happens, God, who knows everything, is going to choose 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, set them apart to do the ministry. That's what he's going to do. It's going to be amazing. And and, and we, we look at this, and, and so Jews are set apart to minister during the tribulation. We understand that God is fulfilling his promise that he made to the nation of Israel. And you could ask this question, why is he setting apart Jews, why 144,000? Well, you remember, the tribulation is called Jacob's trouble, which means Israel's trouble, which means Jews' trouble. That tribulation is for the Jewish people. Let me remind you of something. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, God comes to the nation of Israel and gives them a promise. He promises that they will have 490 years. It starts at a certain point, and they have 490 years. What we realize is at the 483-year mark, the Messiah, Daniel tells us, the Messiah dies. So they got 490 years. They've used up 483 years. They still have seven years left. That's why the tribulation is seven years long. It's the final seven years of the Jews. Now what happened is this, and you just look at this flow, it started at a certain point in time. They rebuilt Jerusalem and all this. The Messiah died at the 483 year mark. They still have seven years to go. What happened is God stopped it. He picked us, chose the church. We are ministering now. One of these days, we're going to be taken off the face of the earth. When we do, he goes back to the Jews. They still have seven years left. So that's why the tribulation is seven years long. It's the seven, it's the final seven years of the 490 years that the Jewish people have. And that's what he's doing. And so let me just give you this chart just to remind you. When Jesus died, they had used up 483. God stopped the clock. He's using us. Once we're gone, he starts the clock, they have seven years left. That's why the tribulation is seven years long. That's how it fits together. So let's look quickly at uh, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. When We're not going to just read them, but I just want you to notice in verse 5, there's Judah, Reuben, and Gad. In verse 6, Asher, Naphtali, and Manasseh. Verse 7 is Simeon, Levi, and Issachar. Verse 8, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. And you could stop now. If you've studied the Bible before, and if you're particular when you study the Bible, you will notice something in this genealogy. Number one, Joseph is mentioned. Joseph is usually never mentioned because Joseph was divided to Ephraim and Manasseh. And Manasseh is mentioned, but not Ephraim. And Joseph is. So some people say, wonder why that is. If you also notice, if you study in detail, that the tribe of Dan is not mentioned. Actually, 13 tribes when you count Joseph with two. So there's 13. He lists 12 here. The tribe of Dan is not listed. 
Some people say, well, why is that? If you have a Ryrie study Bible, in his notes, he said the book that Dan is not listed there is because they committed idolatry at a certain time. That may be right. But if you really look at all the tribes, they all messed up at one time or another. So why isn't Dan mentioned? We do not know. But there are 12,000 out of each of these 12 tribes. And, and so here's what's, so what are they supposed to do? They're going to evangelize. What they're going to do is spread the message. And we're going to see later on, we'll get a little further up in a couple more chapters on down the road. It talks about these 144,000. It tells you what they're like and what they do. I'll give you a hint. They proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to Jewish people. You understand that in the tribulation, the Jewish nation will believe in Jesus as the Messiah. When Jesus came the first time and died on the cross, the Jewish nation rejected Jesus Christ. This second time, they're going to believe in him, and they're going to call upon the name of the Lord, and Jesus Christ is coming back. That's the second coming. So we'll see that that's the end of the tribulation. Well, look what happens. So we, we get this, and then all of a sudden, he sees something else. Notice, after these things, and by the way, this is not chronological. What, what we're going to see is a bunch of people who get killed in the tribulation. And that's most likely the second half. So he sees something. Notice. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude. Which nobody could count. From every nation and all the tribes and all the people and all the tongues. Standing before the throne and before the lamb. Clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. He looks up and he sees all these people. And and they're from every tribe. Every nation. Every tongue. They're just from all over people. And, and, and we're going to know that they believed in Christ. So where do these people come from? He saw this great multitude. Where did these people come from? They came out of the tribulation. We're going to see that in just a minute. And so some people have said, you mean people get saved during the tribulation? I've had people come to me and they say, well, I understand that once the tribulation starts, nobody ever believes in Jesus. I say, well, I don't know who told you that. But first of all, 144,000 are going to believe. And then a whole bunch of other people are going to believe. And then these people are going to believe. And so just understand that during that seven-year time period, many People will believe in Christ. Now, there are going to be all kind of people who reject him. They take the mark of the beast. They do all of that. But there are going to be a lot of believers. So let's talk about it. How how are people saved during the tribulation? Well, number one, the Holy Spirit still has his ministry. See, if I had people say to me, well, in the tribulation, the Holy Spirit's gone. No, he's not. He's been holding back now. He's holding back evil now. When he's gone, he's going to let evil come. But the Holy Spirit still convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When the rapture happens, there are going to be some people who see that we're all gone, and they're going to believe in Jesus Christ. There's going to be the 144,000 Jews who will evangelize. There are going to be two witnesses in the second three and a half years who are going to be witness at witnesses. And then Matthew 24, 14 says, the eternal gospel will be proclaimed. And I want you to notice this. Revelation chapter 14, 6. I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. Having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Look, a lot of people are going to believe in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. And that's great news. Now the problem is, most of them are going to be killed. And the problem is, they are going through the tribulation. If they would believe in Jesus before the rapture, they, could, they wouldn't have to go through any of this. 
but there are going to be a lot of people who believe. Now notice what, what, what they look like. It says, nobody could count them and they had, they were clothed in white robes and palm branches. The white robes re- refer to the righteousness, of course, and palm branches, that's, you know, that you think about Jesus coming into the city and the, they had the palm branches and most believe that this is the idea of triumph in Jesus, that it's triumph, that they've, they've won the battle because of Jesus Christ. Now look what they say. And verse 10 says, And they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation to our God and to the Lamb. Do you realize that when you're, think about this, when you're looking up there, there is a throne and the Father's on the throne and the Son, Jesus Christ, looks like a Lamb and He's there. And so these people are all praising God and they're saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now we're going to talk about it in a minute, but you realize in heaven there is a throne. There also is a tabernacle. There also is a temple. That's in heaven right now. The tabernacle, we'll talk more about that in a minute. It, the, the pattern of the tabernacle on the earth was made after the one in heaven. So as we're looking at this, we're seeing a throne. And the Father sitting on the throne. We're seeing a temple. We're just going to see an altar in a minute. You know? And so it says that they're all there and they're crying out, Salvation to the Lamb, who, uh, uh, God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And then notice what happens. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they all fell on their faces before the throne, worshipped God, saying. So they all fall down. Now remember, we saw last week and a week before that, that he saw so many angels that he couldn't count them. There were myriads of myriads. There were thousands upon thousands and thousands of angels. There's also the elders. There's also those four other angels. Everything is falling down to worship God. Notice it says, And all the angels are standing around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures. They all fell on their faces before the throne. There's the throne. There's the temple. There's the ark. All of that is there. And they worshiped God. And what are we supposed to do? You've done it already this morning. You're doing it right now. We've come together as a group of believers to worship our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we sing the songs, as we give, as we pray, as we study, all as acts of worship to God. They're all on their faces. And what did they say? Verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever Amen. And so they say these things. Now notice, they start with amen and they end with amen. Amen, as you know, means true. It's transliterated from Hebrew into Greek into English. Amen means true. So they start with true and they list these things and they end with true. And look what they say. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power be to God. Blessing, we bless him. That's praise. Glory to the one who receives the praise. Wisdom because he always does what's best. Thanksgiving because what he's doing. Honor because he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. Power because he's the almighty God. Might because he has the ability to do anything. Over and over again, they're praising him. It might be a good thing. And I talk talked about it in the first service, that when you go home today and you want to praise God, go to this and list those things and say, God, you get all the glory because all the blessing and all the wisdom and all thanksgiving and honor and power and might all belong to you. So what we see in heaven is all these people. And what we're going to say is, where did they come from? And that's going to be a great question. Would you like to know? Well, look what happens. Verse 13, then one of the elders answered, saying to me. Now, this is John. He's standing there looking at all this. And one of those 24 elders came over to him and said, These who are clothed in the white robes, 
Who are they? And where have they come from? He asked the question. Who are they? And where do they come from? Well, what's John going to say? You know what John's going to say? Just the same thing we'd say. What? Do you, you know. Don't you know? And I said to him in verse 14, my Lord, you know. And that's what John says. You know. And so who are they? They're believers. Where are they from? They came out of the tribulation from all peoples. Notice what he says. And I said to him, my, verse 14, my Lord, you know, when he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great, who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Listen, they got killed for their faith in the tribulation. Who are they? They're believers. Where'd they come out of the tribulation? And it says, they washed in the blood of the Lamb. John 1.29, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, he has washed us from our sins with his blood. So the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, takes care of us, protects us, saves us, uh, gives us eternal life as, a, as by faith because he's paid for all our sins. And so the, he says uh, that that uh, elder comes and said, who are these people? And he went, you know. And he said, yeah, I do know. And that's who they are. They're the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They're the ones who got killed in the great tribulation for their faith. We saw last week that there was a group of them under the throne. And they were saying to God, how long, how long, how long? And he says, just rest. There's more to be killed. And they'll be coming to be with you. And we look at that and we go, how horrible that is. But there's judgment on the earth. And the Antichrist is evil. He's demon-possessed. He's possessed by the devil. He is evil. And they seek to kill anyone who doesn't take the mark of the beast and follow him. It's going to be a horrible time. And that's why we don't want anybody to be a part of this. We want people to believe in Jesus now, so they want to be a part of this. Well, look what happens. It says, for this reason, they're before the throne of God, and they serve him night. Uh, they serve Him day and night in his temple. So there's a temple, and there's a throne, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over him. We'll talk about that in just a second. And so what, where are they? They're, 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 sitting, they're before the throne of God. So there's a throne, which we've already seen. There's a temple, which we've seen. There's going to be a, a, an ark later on. We're going to see the ark of the covenant is up there. All of this is what was on the earth. The, the, what was on the earth is a pattern after this. And so uh, everything on the earth was patterned after the one in heaven. So if you if you died right now, to be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord, you'd be with Jesus Christ. You might see the throne. You might see the temple. You might see the the tabernacle and the covenant if you're there. John's seeing it, and he's up there. And so he says they serve him day and night before the throne. What do they do? They serve him. The Greek word for serve there means spiritual service. By the grace of God, they get to serve God. Listen, that's our role. We serve the creator of the world. We get to serve him. If you're alive right now, your job is to serve Jesus Christ. If you die to be absent from the body's present Lord, your job then is to serve him. When it comes to the tabard, uh, to the thousand year reign, the millennial kingdom, your job is to serve him. When it comes to the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth, your job is to serve him. Our goal is to serve our Savior, the one who died for us. By the grace of God, they get to serve. Now there's something unique I want you to see. The very end of verse 15 says, He who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. The word tabernacle means a protection. It means a covering. Uh, it was the word for a tent or for a temporary dwelling place. And he says, 
they will, he will spread his tabernacle over them. What does that mean? Do you remember when Ruth was like in Boaz? <laughs> and she went out that night while he was asleep. And she laid down beside him at his feet. And when he woke up, he realized there was a woman down there. And he said, who is it? She said, it's Ruth. And then she said, spread your covering over me. What she was saying is, protect me forever. When it says here that he will spread his tabernacle, that's covering, over them. God is going to always protect us. He will keep us safe. Notice it goes on to say, uh, they will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb is the center of the throne, and will be their shepherd, and will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So think about what's going to happen to them. It says he's going to shepherd them. That's what a shepherd does. He provides and protects. He's going to take care of them. He takes them to the water of life. When you look in the scripture, salvation is often called the water of life or the living water. The little books we get out all the time, which is the Gospel of John, the title is the living water. And that's why it's called that. So we look and we realize that the living water is eternal life. That's what it's all about. The lamb is in the center of the throne. And he will be their shepherd. He's going to take care of them. He will guide them. That's what shepherds do. To the springs of the water of life. Wow. And the God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen, there will be no more sorrows and things. In fact, when we get to the eternal state, for every human being, there will never be sorrow or sadness again. So what happened? Now we're going to go back. All of a sudden we get to the end. We go back to the flow. Because remember he gave us the six sealed judgments. And then he stops. He said, well, let me remind you of what happened in the first part of the tribulation. And what happens in the last part of the tribulation. And then he comes back and he gives the seventh seal. And it's Revelation chapter 8 verse 1. It says, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. You know, if you notice that every time John's been up there, there's thunder and lightning and praise and glory. And everybody's talking. Everybody's praising. Everything's going on. Suddenly, when the very last seal is broken, which means it's time for Jesus to come back to the earth to set up the kingdom, it says everything becomes quiet for a half an hour. It's amazing to me. It didn't just say everything became quiet. It tells you how long. Half an hour. You ever thought about something that all of a sudden it's real quiet and you're waiting for the next thing to happen and the longer it's quiet and the longer you're waiting, it seems like, when is it going to happen? And suddenly it happens. And that's Revelation 19. It's also Revelation chapter 6. When he comes, all the unbelievers fall down and they say, Oh, hide us, oh, mountains, hide us, hide us from the one who is coming. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus Christ comes and he comes to judge the earth. Revelation nineteen eleven. the heavens open. He's riding on a white horse and a sword is coming out of his mouth and the word of God is written on his side and he's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he comes to judge the world. That's what's going to happen. And that's actually what we're seeing now. What is he going to do? He's now going to say, okay, now let's get back to this. Let's talk about the seven trumpets. And the seven trumpets, I think, all work within the last three and a half years. So what are we saying? Uh, that God set apart the 144,000 Jews to fulfill his promise to them. They still have seven years. Uh, we'll worship the angels. Uh, there's worship of angels and men and all before God will all be there. And then uh, we look forward that we're going to serve the living God. So let me give you some applications. Let's fulfill our responsibility. Let's serve God now. 
right now. We, the church, we're set apart. We get to tell people about Jesus Christ. Well, in the future, those final seven years, the nation of Israel will have that privilege and responsibility. So each of us in this room who know Jesus Christ, and we understand that salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone, we tell people to believe in Christ for eternal life, we get to do that. And so understand that as we're faithful, Faithful believers are rewarded. We'll get to serve him. We'll get to be with him. We'll get to do all the things that God has for us to do. And it's going to be amazing. The second thing is, let's do this. Let's worship our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are they doing in this passage? They're worshiping Jesus Christ and God the Father. They're falling down. They're saying things like glory and blessing and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. So maybe take some time today when you go home and read this passage. Maybe read verses 9 through nine through 12 and think about worshiping God and, and calling out who he is and what he has done.